0: ...animation celery once again. Crunchy
1: conversations about classic cartoons. Stay alert.
0: Stay safe. This is just good good advice. Mm. I'm
1: Matzy. And I'm the other guy, Micah. On this show, Matzy and I give each other cartoons to watch. Then we meet next week to review and discuss them. We're looking at shorts today, and by remarkable coincidence... We each gave each other a Tex Avery cartoon to look at and a Chuck Jones cartoon to look at. But Fascinating. Yeah, isn't that weird? It's so crazy. Same order, too. Yeah. <laughs> First, though, we promised last week that we were going to watch uh, Hilda and the Mountain King. Um, so we're going to give, I guess, a mini review, a mini discussion anyway. So, uh, Matsy, what do you think?
0: Yeah, we shouldn't spoil too much because it is a very, very current thing. Right. So first of all, I watched the last couple of episodes that I hadn't watched yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, I said that I had somehow missed the last three. Yeah. So I watched the other ones. I understand now the cliffhanger that was mentioned to me.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny is you mentioned it and I was searching like what cliffhanger because I remembered it. But I thought it resolved, like I thought it happened (laughs) mid-episode. So, yeah, as a result, this movie doesn't really stand on its own. Because even beside the cliffhanger, there's background established in that last episode of the season.
0: Yeah, it's, the movie is really more of a series finale, you would think, Yeah. than a movie. You Mm -hmm. know, like... um, I mean, the first thing that I think of is the Steven Universe movie, which does stand on its own. Yeah. Um, being disconnected from the first one and being the entry point to Steven Universe's future. But yeah, Hilda and the Mountain King, if you just go into it blind, you're not going to know what is going on. Hey, especially if you've not watched any Hilda.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it also, so I think. You're mm, saying, you're saying as an ending, it bookends the series pretty well, too. It does. Yeah,
0: it it like calls back to the first couple of episodes where the conflict that Hilda had was, you know, she doesn't, she likes being alone in the wilderness and Mm -hmm. being able to go out and have adventures and not be, you know, stuck in a city or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and then the rest of the series is basically her learning about living in a city and stuff. Um, and the other thing that I thought was interesting is, and again, not going to be too spoilery. Um, In Hilda as a series, most episodes have her involved with some kind of um, magical creature of some kind Mm. that is in this universe. But always in the background, there's these trolls, like the trolls kind of hover over every aspect of their life. The town is called Trollberg. But there's never there's not really episodes devoted to the trolls. They're just kind of. You know, while we're dealing with this thing, you know, there's also the trolls. And the movie is finally, OK, all this troll setup we've been doing. Here's the deal with the trolls. This is the big troll adventure. Right. Which I appreciate. Like, I like that they've been kind of slowly building it up and building it up. And then they like, here it is. I thought it was funny that the first things that I was noticing as I was watching it were flaws. Oh, yeah. And I felt I felt kind of bad about it. Like there's... um. In the in the last episode of season two, uh, Hilda's friend Frida hurt one of her feet. Oh, right. It was her right foot. And then she shows up at school and David's like, how's your foot? And then she wiggles her left foot. No other way around. She hurt her left foot. And then when he asks how her foot is, she wiggles her right foot and says, it's all right. And i watched it and was like it, that, that. I think that's the wrong foot. And I went back and watched the part where it got hurt. And it's like, yeah, that is the wrong foot. Ooh, movie ruined yeah and i felt bad for th- looking at things like that mm. but then i just kind of forgot about it and went along with it and it was uh i thought it was a lot of fun yeah. i like hilda i love i love those little rock eating slugs they look so cute Heh, yeah but yeah not too spoilery but i think it's a that's a good series and the movie was a worthy finale to it you know, you're saying it's just kind of like a finale for the series. I didn't really feel
1: like it upped the visual game too much. No, I mean uh, some of the
0: action, maybe a little bit. Like the title sequence was more dynamic, right? Um, but but you're right. It is exactly like it's letterboxed. Oh, so it's a little bit wider screen. Yeah, but it's pretty much exactly like Hilda, right down to some unimportant scenes having a really low frame rate for some reason. <laughs> well, I think,
1: I think the show basically looks pretty good. Um, it does. And I don't know, it, it appeals to me. I like this very story focused. Mm-hmm. There are funny things, but it's not bombarding you with them. Yeah. Um. There's plenty of charm in the characters. Uh, I especially like seeing Tonto or Tonto rather again. The, uh, yep. yeah, the extra dimensional little troll, go- not troll, but little goblin guy. Yeah, it's like a
0: house spirit or something. Yeah. So... Yep. He was a lot of fun. Um, I like that David started to show some growth. Like, he wasn't this little... You know, he wasn't a complete whimpering coward the entire time. He was, like, recognizing that things were wrong and he would have to take some action. mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that was good. But, you know...
1: One thing that I found oddly satisfying in the uh, in the show is the um, the Mountain King's blood red treasure. Yes. I liked its density and texture. (laughs) Yeah. And I especially like seeing Hilda lob it. (laughs) Yeah, that was cool.
0: For one of the one of the funnier slapstick moments in the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I know the scene you're talking about. And it was because it's kind of like a dramatic climactic moment of the movie.
1: Hmm. And
0: it's kind of like it's like (laughs) throwing this thing at the guy like Mario throwing a turnip at an enemy in Super Mario Brothers 2. Right.
1: Um, If you look at it philosophically, uh, well, the the trolls have like differences between their own uh, people. Yes. And so, if you apply its philosophy to real life, the major changes in the relationship only come because of violence. Like, I was thinking about that. Given time, if there wasn't that violent conflict, would people have come to a greater understanding? I think no.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially Eric... Alberg, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he... Boy, he... Okay, so I mentioned that when I hadn't seen the last three episodes, I thought it was weird that they were setting something up and then didn't resolve it. And the thing they were setting up and didn't resolve was Eric Alberg, who is a... He's like the head of the safety patrol who's in charge of keeping Trollberg safe from trolls. But he's just a glory-seeking idiot who doesn't understand trolls at all. Right. And... One, I was glad to see that, you know, the the reckoning or the the greater importance that he would play that I expected actually did come. But also he annoyed me like I hated him so much in a way that I don't know that I've really hated a villain in a cartoon in a while. And that's a good thing Hmm. because. It means that he's, like, legitimately doing... He, he's a legitimate villain. Like, is yeah. it's not like one of those villains, like, oh, man, he's so cool. It's like, no, this guy, like, I hate everything he does. Somebody needs to give him his comeuppance. His deputy, Gerda, needs to grow a spine. The number of times that she kind of looks sideways, like she's uncertain about what's going on. Like, just do something about it. By the way,
1: uh, last time I noted that... This is another example of probably a Scandinavian setting with uh, all United Kingdom accents. Yeah. Well, Goethe is one of the only characters to have kind of a Scandinavian accent. You know,
0: I developed a theory on this back in 1991. Mm. Uh, the movie, the Disney movie Beauty and the Beast. Okay. It's set in France. And everybody talks perfect English, except for the candlestick Lumiere, who speaks with a French accent. Right. And I decided, canonically, these characters are speaking French. It's just translated into English for our benefit. Right. And therefore, I choose to believe that the guy with the French accent is actually a native English speaker speaking French with an English accent. Oh, boy. Okay. And so I'm applying that same thing here. Where all these British accents, they're speaking Scandinavian. It's just translated into English or, well, I shouldn't say Scandinavian. There's multiple Scandinavian sure. languages, but like a Scandinavian language. Right. And Gerda is actually from Britain. Oh, my God. Okay. I and mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really work with her name, but that, yeah. that is my head canonical justification. All right. Uh, fine. Works for me. Um,
1: <laughs> backing up to Eric. Uh, I find, I find him, well, say that he utterly lacks nuance, (laughs) right? Yes. Yeah. So I I find him a little tiresome. Uh, but when you think about it, he's not really wrong, right? Like painting, uh, trolls as not something to be feared. Well, lots of them clearly you should fear. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean only through the uh, grace of children's programming do a lot of people not die in this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um. Though at the same time, you'll notice that whenever he does ev- anything, like, his justification isn't to keep people safe, it's to give himself glory. Right. You know, he saves the kids in that last, or he thinks he saves the kids in that last episode, and he's like, oh, can you imagine it when we're on the news together and they tell me how scared they were until I saved them? Like, mm. Go
1: away. (laughs) Well, I, well, I guess I was going to say about his fate, but I guess we can't spoil that. So. Yeah. Yeah. No spoilers on that. I guess people, if people like Adventure Time, they probably like Hilda.
0: Hilda's good fantasy.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. If if they like programs that the whole family can watch,
0: that's it too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Like, it's, it's, it's great for everyone. Hmm. It's solid, solid, fantastical stuff. Um, the movie had a little moment of Kaiza in it. Really. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Very brief. I'm
0: always happy to see.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah, su- brief. I- I'm surprised the Woodman didn't make an appearance.
0: Yeah. If it's going to be the last one. Yeah. That actually occurred to me like halfway through. I'm like, is the Woodman going to be in this? And then and he wasn't. Well, and I was trying to think if something happened to him in a previous episode where he like found some new and fancy home somewhere or something you know i think the place they could have put him is the
1: last shot of the movie with hilda on the hill with friends the woodman could have just like been there but yeah seeing as how it's a movie you can't watch on its own anyway (laughs) well yeah uh yeah good but uh did you do anything else this past week anything else you want to
0: talk about um one small thing it actually this actually occurred to me halfway through recording last week's episode okay and i figured i guess i'll talk about it now um, do you remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that I watched the season premiere of Squidbillies? Yes, I do. Because they had replaced the racist voice actor of the main character with, uh, black comedian Tracy Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Black comedian Tracy Morgan. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's just funny because he's replacing somebody who is. Right. Who's he fired Billy. Being a racist. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, um,. Anyway, I, I mentioned at that time that I had read that it was going to be the last season. Yeah. And at some point over the last couple of weeks, uh, something that popped into my periphery was that the last episode of Squidbillies came out. Okay. Entitled, This Show Was Called Squidbillies. Hmm. And so I was like, I, I hadn't watched any other episodes of the entire season and very little of any other season. But I figured, eh, Let's see how this ends. hmm And <laughs> it's it's kind of a non-event to the extent that Squidbillies itself is an event. Okay. If you get what I mean? It's like, it wasn't like some big climax. It was like, uh, we need a finish mm. here. This works. Right. Um, characters, the, the characters that you're rooting for got their happy endings. Uh, mm the characters that you're supposed to hate which is early kyler uh mm. was shafted and and it and it kind of finished off the story of the squid family the kyler family so in that respect it did what it was supposed to do that show was called squid billies and now it's over um a brief some summary of it is that so there were four Four squids, endangered Appalachian mud squids who Mm. live in rural Georgia and the matriarch or I always do that. Patriarch of the family, early Kyler is your stereotypical redneck idiot. Uh, His son, Rusty, is kind of he's he's a better person, but he's sort of forced into this bad lifestyle by his. Um, overbearing father, and his grandmother, uh, Granny mm. Kyler, uh, hilariously played by Dana Snyder. Okay. And also involved here, uh, Rusty has a girlfriend, on and off girlfriend, love interest, kind of, mother of his child, okay. and half sister. Whoa.
1: Yeah, it's Georgia. Well, I shouldn't say that. Say, it's not not mean it, enough, in my opinion. Half sister, boo.
0: Well, if he was his whole sister, she'd be a squid. Okay. Yeah, they they both share the same human mother. Oh, okay. And the idea of this episode was that after one too many terrible dates, after realizing that there was no man in town that she could possibly have a life with, Tammy decided to move away. And Rusty didn't want her to leave. And so he, you know, he's like, what am I going to do? And then Granny dies, hmm. and you know now without her as a buffer, now that Early is the dominant force unopposed in the Kyler household, Rusty decides, you know what, I'm gonna move away with Tammy, and he steals one of Early's trucks. He has two trucks with a boat between them. It's a okay. truck boat truck. Okay. Um. So he steals one of his trucks, asks Tammy to marry him, and they run away to another part of Georgia. And hmm. that's that's basically it. I mean, more happens, but that's the basic story. And so it ends with uh, Tammy and Rusty buying a house, married with many, many children, and early very annoyed that now he's by himself. Ha.
1: Huh. You know, even with you mentioning it in prior episodes, I don't think I've ever watched any Bill. Squid- like, I think th- my total exposure to it was... Uh
0: Cartoon Network commercials. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's understandable. It's like (laughs) it's like sub Aquatine Hunger Force and Aquatine Hunger Force was a cartoon that just kind of popped into your life every now and then. That's literally how I discovered that show. Like I was looking in a like a TV guide of some kind. Mm. I was like, what is this? Aqua Teen Hunger Force. That sounds weird. And then I turned it on. And I think by coincidence, it was actually the first episode. Ah, but but yeah, it's like you never. Well, I do sometimes, but you generally don't go out of your way to watch Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It just comes into your life. (laughs) And and Squidbillies is below that. Right.
1: Exactly. I, I haven't had anybody in my life that was watching Squidbillies when I was in the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> Aquantine Hunger Force, no, though, I've, yeah, I've had people watch that while I've been around, so.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so I caught up with Hilda and I watched that. That's pretty much what I did over the last week. Mm. Uh, did you do anything more interesting than that? I watched so,
1: so many movies. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Hilda, yeah, watch that. Um, yep. unbelievably, I had never watched Treasure Planet. I haven't either. Oh, well, uh, it's based off of Toei's Animal Treasure Island, as you can figure out. <laughs> now, I think it's good. Um, mm-hmm. Have you Have you seen Titan AE?
0: Yes, uh, I saw that in theaters. We have an associate who's a big fan of Don Bluth, and yeah. so he kind of mandated that Everyone available at the time come to the theater and see that movie. I never
1: understand how it is that movie, I, mean, I guess, because there's common knowledge, but but it seems like a big expensive endeavor for movie studios to put out similar movies, like different movie studios, you know what I mean, that will compete against each other. Yeah. I never really understand that. And I don't know if this is the case here or even if the timeline quite works out. But uh, Treasure Planet and Titan AE are really similar in a lot of ways. Hmm. Right. Because there weren't a lot of space adventure movies at the time. No. Uh, So they're both that. They both incorporate um, CG with traditional animation. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they both have a protagonist who bonds with a sketchy character that kind of assumes a pseudo father figure for him. Hmm. So, yeah, they're kind of similar. I think that Treasure Planet is the better movie overall. But okay. the T- Titan AE is better in one respect, in that they do more and they show you more, so it feels like a bigger adventure. Hmm. Like, this is, uh, I guess, it's in my philosophy that, um, for example, when I think about Star Wars and how it compares to some other movies, yeah, I think that even bad Star Wars movies give you a lot, you know, like, they'll give you... More than one monster, and a whole bunch of vehicles, and different locations, and the like, and Treasure Planet's kind of really tight and tidy, you know, as opposed to Titan E, where they go all over the place. Oh, I should say that another connection between the two: the protagonist is the key to making a treasure map work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're kind of similar movies. But anyway, um, it it's good. Um, it has for me a couple of very annoying characters. And I thought that the protagonist of Treasure Planet is, I thought he was a little boring at first, but by the end of the movie, he does enough daring things and makes enough decisions that he won me over. And overall, I like it.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I won't spoil it because... Yeah, I think that's one of those movies that's like, it was kind of at the tail end of Disney's cell animated features when people had kind of stopped caring. but. I don't think I've ever really seen anything bad about it. The only times I've ever seen it referenced online is people talking about how good it was.
1: <laughs> and uh, people simping over the captain. I guess. The captain is this cat lady. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in an era, and it continues continues on where, uh, I mean, I guess kids have an honest voice, maybe, you know, and they they just don't watch anything that doesn't look computer animated, so... You know, <laughs> whether whether it's like a films or this or foreign stuff, kind of a bummer. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's pretty good. So you should you should definitely check it out. Um, OK, I watched Encanto, which is the new oh. Disney
0: offering. Hmm. I think I've seen like thumbnails with that name in them on YouTube, but I don't really know anything about that movie. It's not very well promoted, I don't think.
1: And hmm. it did poorly for a Disney movie of this era. I, th- I mm. think anyway, they, but it's it, who knows? Because it's, you know, on stream. So it's a different, yeah, different experiment. Different it's um, about, uh, Colum- it takes place in Colombia and there are people running away from persecution during one of its many civil war events. Uh-huh. And they end up discovering a magical candle that raises mountains all around them to protect them in a valley and then makes a magical house for the woman that that found the candle. Furthermore, um, all of her descendants, uh, when they reach a certain age, get a ritual with the candle that grants them a superpower and then a door to their extra dimensional bedroom. Like, you would have no idea this was about that, right? (laughs) The story centers around one of the grandchildren for whom the ritual didn't work and she didn't get any superpowers. Oh, but um, she, she's remained positive throughout it and fa- tried to find her role. Uh, but when she does a little snooping, she finds out a mystery, a secret behind the house and the powers. Ah, Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, one thing that struck me right away is how uneven the superpowers are. <laughs> so, like, one of the uh, most iconic members of the family, her, her, uh, one of her sisters, is super strong. So, she's got this, you know, robust build and she does all these Herculean things. Um, and that's classic. Super strength. Right. Uh, her other sister is Miss Perfect and she makes flowers bloom, which sounds a little modest. But then you can see later on that she's basically got, like, plant control so she can make, you know, vines do things. And, you know, she ba- she, she's she she got, like, good, good superhero plant powers, I should say, right? Okay. Their mother can instantly heal any injury with her cooking. Pretty good superpower. (laughs) Yeah. Her uh, uncle uh, can prophesize. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her aunt makes localized weather based on her moods. And by localized, I mean, like, if she's sad, a rain cloud hovers above her. Which seems Hmm. not that great. No. No. And she doesn't even use it for anything. It's just sort of like a nuisance. <laughs> yeah, um, that,
0: I don't know how... If I had that power, I don't know how I would use it.
1: Yeah. At, at the beginning of the movie, her cousin gets uh, communication slash friendship with animals. Good power. Okay. Good power. Yep, good. Yep. Her other cousin can hear really well. Huh. Hmm. Super okay. hearing. I mean, I wouldn't turn it down. No. But it's definitely not on par with the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's enough to become an X-Men or an Avenger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so they're a little uneven on the powers. Oh, I should say also the house is uh, magical, so it Mm. uh, has a personality of its own, and it, like, communicates by uh, flapping its floor tiles or its roof shingles. (laughs) You know, it it can do things, like, convey things along, you know? Mm, yeah, OK. Anyway, I think it's pretty good. At the, by the end of the movie, I was thinking like, OK, these people have to contact the outside world at some point. And then I was looking at Columbia's history and I thought, uh, maybe not.
0: <laughs>
1: maybe they're best hiding out forever. <laughs> also, the, the sister that control plants, uh, Isabel, incredibly sexy, very sexy Disney character. <laughs> and even more so when you discover her secret. So, oh, well, let's look yeah. forward to that. Yeah, I say check in Canto out. All right. The next movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, I rewatched G.I. Joe the movie, which is to say the oh, animated wow. movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 I guess I've been kind of uh, open. Like I'm a yes man. So <laughs> if, if, if something comes up, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll watch it. You know, when it's, when it's pushed at me. Uh, right. Uh, by computer algorithms. <laughs> um, it's kind of cool. Like... Cobra Law. Do you remember this
0: movie at all? A little bit. Um, I kind of, I sort of, (laughs) I remember the action figures that came, Mm. that went along with it. And then I can like um, reverse engineer where they came from, you know? Right. I remember Serpentor. I remember, I remember Cobra Commander's you know meme worthy once a man deal right yes that's in this (laughs) uh i remember duke getting uh his heart eaten by a snake he's just in a coma we swear
1: yeah i think cobra law is cool it's one of the neater Mm -hmm. things in this this uh this ancient civilization that's been hiding underground and has like super they have weird technology and a lot of their scenery is, like, uh, dormant bugs or slugs or other, like, giant <laughs> beasts. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And uh, once again, I'm on the Babe Watch, I guess, that uh, Pythona, I thought, was really sexy. <laughs> her leotard and, like, her... She's kind of like a hand-to-hand fighter that augments her abilities by throwing organisms at you. So, like, <laughs> star, starfishes that uh, suffocate you and the like. Um, but... Uh, I was never that much into G.I. Joe as a kid. Mm. I had friends who had the toys, and so I'd play with them, sure. But even as a kid, I was never much up on, like, American patriotism and jingoism, you know? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and then when the show changed to have live action segments with Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> it, like, pushed me out the door. You know, <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> And he's in this, and he's terrible, too, in there. But it, and, and also, just like Hulk Hogan, he sure gets flattered by his
0: animated portrayal. Oh, no kidding. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a time when he had a body somewhat like that, but... Uh, Not when boy. he was on G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. He, uh, he was in the WWWF and hey, the yeah. WWF. He actually left... Because of a disagreement with the WWF over his ability to make money from the G.I. Joe deal. Oh, because WWF was under the impression was like, no, you're under contract with us and you're we own your likeness and anything you do has to go through us and we want a percent. And Sergeant Slaughter, the guy, his real name, I think is Bill Remus, if I remember. He was like, he was like, screw you and walked out so Mm. he could make that sweet, sweet G.I. Joe money. You know, there's a, uh, more than him. There there are
1: uh, live action figure, live, like real people that are part of G.I. Joe. Yep. Like, <laughs> is his name uh, uh, Refrigerator Perry, a football player?
0: William the Refrigerator Perry, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Huh. The... I think later they actually made uh, G.I. Joe figures out of the Street Fighter 2 characters, if I remember. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. Hmm.
1: Anyway, this movie, uh, if you have nostalgia for that era of uh, Hasbro, like, Marvel cartoons, mm-hmm. it's got all that good stuff. It just focuses on terrible characters, like the main <laughs> one, Lieutenant Falcon. He's terrible.
0: I, but... man, I, the, the main characters of G.I. Joe are so basic that I don't even remember them. I always liked the characters that had a gimmick to them, like... The one with a bunch of landmines and, and a and a metal detector. I think his name might have been Tripwire or a okay. guy with a rocket launcher on his back and that kind of thing. But one who's like just an army man who has a gun like that bored me.
1: You know, there's of the new characters and there's too many characters in this for sure. Yeah. Um, Tunnel Rat, I guess, gets to do the most <laughs> like he gets to find new ways to get into places. It's kind of his thing. Um, And, uh, oh, golly. Oh, yeah. They introduced Chuckles, who is sort of an icon for G.I. Joe. (laughs) He has no lines in the movie. And uh, uh, true to the G.I. Joe dress code, just wears anything. So in his case, he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) And as far as his character goes, as a guy who doesn't say anything in the movie, um, in basic training, he's supposed to... uh, launch a missile at a vehicle, but he gets frustrated trying to operate his vehicle. So he gets out, uh, carries the missile and hurls it by hand at the the other vehicle. (laughs) And the only other thing you really see him do in the movie, except for, you know, participate in firefights, is uh, an instance where a helicopter won't start. So he gets on top of the helicopter and gives it the boost by spinning the propeller blade by hand. Oh
0: boy, that's a good way to lose your head. Yeah, but chuckles. Uh yeah. Anyway, chuckles. Yeah, it sounds like uh, like this Full Metal Jacket kind of thing of like their drill sergeant, um, who may actually have been Sergeant Slaughter at one point. Well, um yeah. Being like you know your you know your name is this now,
1: right? Right. Yeah. There's only two things that come from Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There. Actually, he is in this movie. He's the the worst the worser uh, drill sergeant. Um the the one that trains them is Beachhead. And then okay. after Falcon totally messes up, he's uh dispatched to get scared straight, I guess, by uh by Sergeant Slaughter.
0: Yeah, what are but they the the Renegades were these? Yes, he, yes, like, yes. he had like three dudes that were with him. Yeah, well, you remember this they, movie pretty well. Well, I again I'm reverse engineering from the toys. Because yeah, yeah. the the three renegades and the three Cobra Law people came in yeah. a three pack each oh my God, they weren't individual sale. It's like you would get I don't remember their names, but like the there's some kind of a drone soldier that Cobra law has right, uh and then there's a purple guy, I think his name might have been nemesis actually yeah nemesis um, enforcer yeah, God, the wings and, and then globulus. There's <laughs> globulus, yes, the guy with a big long snake body, hmm. uh, which was actually you know in action figure form, he actually had that body right. So yeah, I don't remember much of the movie, but I kind of remember, I remember that Sergeant Slaughter had these three dudes. Hmm. I I could probably go on for a long time about the the (laughs) G.I. Joe
1: movie, but I should, I should get to the last movie so we can get to the shorts. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So the last movie, the piece de resistance, (laughs) I watched Garfield gets real. Okay. So do you have any idea what this is?
0: I, th- I think I don't know that I've seen it, but I feel like at some point in our Garfield research, this kind of flitted through my I think the first thing that came to my mind is Garfield Gets a Life, which is ah. a totally different one. Yeah. I don't know that I remember Garfield Gets Real. Oh, well, it's new. Like, I think oh. I didn't I didn't
1: look up what year it was released, but on its YouTube channel, it was from this year.
0: Wait a minute. Is this, com- is this mm-hmm. computer animated? Yes. OK, This is is does Garfield's mouth move when he talks? Yes. I mentioned this movie in a previous episode uh, and I can't remember why it was. There was a a scene in a movie theater or something. And I brought up that there was something specific in that that I thought was ridiculous in some way. Oh, well, if you want, I'll expound on this experience. Okay, yeah. Maybe you'll jog my memory. about what I
1: saw in Garfield gets real it starts off when we get to see, like, the, the town being generated, and the town seems like it's going to be the usual Indiana suburb that Garfield lives in, Yeah. except that there's just, like, weird stuff all around. Like, there's a superhero flying around, there's weird houses, and we, we learn very quickly, by the way, yes, Garfield talks, and he talks to John. Oh. Yeah, they, they communicate, and he's got a job as a famous comic strip character. So Garfield though he's he's like disaffected he's like I'm tired of all this but nonetheless uh, they pack the car John Odie and Garfield and take off to work at the studio it's like Who Framed Roger Rabbit where they have you know cameras and everything and a director and they're performing the comic okay and um, then they they and other comic book characters or rather comic strip characters go to the movie theater and there's a device. that like converts all the things they've done into a three-panel black and white strip in front of the movie screen, oh. and then that kind of fades away. And we get to see like in the real world, a uh, paper delivery boy is having like a magical effect on his comic. Like the comics are just beamed onto there. Then, huh? Okay. And all these comic strip characters in the theater, the 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 director's there, and he he can switch which perspective they see as though from the newspaper page. So they, they can go all over the world and see people
0: reading their comics. Hmm. Okay. I think, I'm, I think I'm starting to remember now that the reason that I mentioned this was because there was a voice actor in some role that I thought was like, can you oh. believe that this guy is in this? Oh,
1: you know what? I better make sure before I say it. I do think that Garfield, Odie... And normal are all voiced by Frank
0: Welker. Well, at least Garfield is. I know that for sure. But I think there was someone else I was like, like, because I knew that already. And I think it was like someone else in that movie theater scene. And I was like, believe it or not, this character is voiced by this actor. No, he doesn't voice Odie. Okay. Oh. He still voices
1: like seven people in the thing. Well, and he, yeah. he, does, he does his Lorenzo music impression for Garfield. Because I guess that's going to stick to Garfield forever.
0: Yeah. And keep in mind, this movie is actually an extension of a TV series called The Garfield Show. Yeah, but in The Garfield Show, he's not a comic strip, right? He's not. Well, that's, I I guess, actually, now
1: that you mention it, that's true. So this thing reminds me, you know, the movie Food Fight? (sighs) Or, oh, I haven't seen it, but I'm aware of it. Yes, it reminds me of that. For one, because it looks only slightly better than it, <laughs> and for another, because, okay, Food Fight is about, um, uh, supermarket, the, 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 brand characters you would see on supermarket packaging mm-hmm. coming to life when the supermarket closes, but they, they got some real licenses, so, like, Mr. Clean is in that movie, and mm. the, uh... The cowboy from the Twinkies is in that movie and the stork from the pickle jar, right? <laughs> They're not main characters, though, and they made up a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So in this case, they have uh, Dagwood from Blondie appears from it very briefly, and they've made up all the other characters. I guess <laughs> they, co- they couldn't get the United uh, Features Syndicate characters, except, <laughs> except for Dagwood, I guess, right? Yeah. So they have, like, a bitter married couple that are, like, stand-in lockhorns. <laughs> <laughs> they have Billy Bear, which I'm sure is just, like, a pure Jim Davis-y kind of thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when Garfield spies food in the real life, he decides that's, like, the change that he needs. And so he finds, like, a tear through the portal. He and Odie. Odie's attracted by a bone. Yeah. Boy, this thing's confusing. What <laughs> I feel is that it was probably supposed to be live action. So okay. like everything in the comic world is CG, but in the real world was probably supposed to be an extension of the live action movies, you know, kind of hmm. have that look. Right. But it's not, it's all computer animated. It's a little uneven in terms of whether things look Garfieldy or not. Like some, some of the people and animals do look it and others not so much. Um, <laughs> but people in the real world look like they belong, like some of them look like they belong in Garfield strips and nobody (laughs) believes that he's the Garfield from the comic. So that means that he looks like a realistic cat. Yeah. You know? And Odie looks like a realistic dog. Uh So I think basically this whole idea was totally screwed up. Anyway, it sucks. It's the worst Garfield thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's not as bad as Eight Crazy Nights... Because I laughed in disbelief a couple of times. (laughs) Oh my God, so bad. Uh, They have, they introduced a couple of antagonists that are gonna like take over the strip. There are two muscle bound dogs that are Hans and Franz uh, parody. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just feeble, just terrible. Anyway, that was my week. So many movies. I almost wanna go watch that Garfield thing. Yeah, I haven't seen the live-action movies, I should warn. So this may not be the worst thing. It's just the worst thing I've seen. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, uh, let's... <laughs> Why don't we move to shorter fairs? I watched a bunch of movies. Yeah, let's go
0: shorter. Yeah, okay. The kind of thing you would see before a movie if it's 1952. Right. Uh, this is a short from 1952. It's called Magical Maestro, and it was directed by Tex Avery. Fred Tex Avery, that is. Uh, It's an MGM cartoon, which is to say Tom and Jerry, although Tom and Jerry isn't in this. Instead, uh, Droopy's main counterpoint, Butch, the Irish Bulldog, is in it. Hmm. But he's not Butch, the Irish Bulldog, in this. He is Puccini, the world's greatest baritone opera singer. He might be. Might be just a
1: stage name. Yeah, maybe. (laughs)
0: Uh, So, yeah, it's opening night. And the crowd is packing into the theater, but there's someone else slipping into the stage entrance of the theater. As Puccini warms up with his conductor, he's practicing "Largo factotum from *The Barber of Se- uh, Seville*. Uh, you might not know that name, but you know that song. Mm. La 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 la. That. Yeah. Singing that killed my voice. Mm. So as he's warming up, there's a knock on the dressing room door, and Puccini is greeted by the overzealous magician, Misto. Misto thinks Puccini's act needs some magic, and he demonstrates a few of the wondrous tricks he can accomplish just by waving his magic wand. He makes a flower pot and a couple of, uh, makes a couple of rabbits come out of his hat. But Pucci is not impressed, and he kicks Misto out into the street. Feeling sorry for himself, Misto toys with his wand, and then he suddenly gets an idea. He'll replace the conductor and show Puccini what for. So as Puccini's performance begins, Misto uses his wand to freeze the conductor and steal his hair and his red nose and his clothes and takes his place. My oh my. <laughs> I, I found this fascinating
1: as a kid. I would, When this cartoon came on, this is the part that I, that I would wait for in fascination slash horror <laughs> how he like completely suspends him and doesn't let him move again for the entire cartoon right mm, mm. and yes the the coup de gras is stealing his nose
0: yeah it's kind of amazing <laughs> kind of scary yeah and so the Tex Avery shenanigans begin Puccini <laughs> starts out singing and it's simple enough You know, he raises a hand and a flower pot appears in it. He uh, raises both his hands and one of the rabbits appears in it. And there's a good gag where he tries to hide them behind his back. But when he's forced to put up his hands to sing again, the two rabbits now have like a whole bunch of little baby rabbits all running down his arm. Mm. (laughs) Because rabbits multiply, right? Yeah. And it just gets wackier from there. Puccini gets he's in a tutu ballet dancing as he sings his aria. He is turned into an Indian, a tennis player, a convict and a football player. Now, (laughs) Misto grabs a symbol, (laughs) grabs a symbol like the musical instrument symbol from the uh, from the orchestra and tosses it onto the stage where it falls on Puccini's head and turns him into a racist Chinaman stereotype to sing a racist Chinese Ching Chong song. Yeah. Puccini rips the racism off of himself and tries to get back into his aria. But then he's turned into a cowboy to sing Oh, my darling, Clementine. Misto lifts him up high into the air for a high note and lets him fall on his face. And Puccini, Puccini is staying professional through all this. He doesn't know what's going on, but he's still trying to sing as best he can. Uh, Also at note uh, worth noting at this point a stray hair appears at the bottom of the screen. My understanding is that this would happen in theaters sometimes. Uh, the The cellulose of the film would kind of get shaved and uh, sometimes little strands of it would kind of get into the lens and wiggle around a little bit. Mm. So now Puccini gets turned into a square dance caller before he just abruptly turns back into his normal self. And for the first time... You know, he's been interrupted over and over, but now for the first time, he interrupts himself to pluck that stray hair and throw it away in one of the great gags in cartoon history. It's so funny. It's also not the first time Tex Avery has done this, and it won't be the last time either. But that gag is just fantastic. But that good deed is rewarded by Misto turning into a schoolboy, turning him into a schoolboy rather, to sing... A tisket, a tasket, I lost my yellow basket, until his red balloon pops and turns him back to normal. Now, by this point, there's a man in the balcony who can't stand the racket that's going on on the stage. And as you do in the theater in this era, you uh, throw fruit at the person you don't like. So he's got a whole bushel of fruit that he throws. But unfortunately for no fun audience man, the fruit lands on Puccini's head which provides a catalyst for him to turn into a Carmen Miranda type, complete with Misto's trusty rabbits playing guitar for him. Now, there's a weird, there's a great gag here, and it's kind of hard to explain. It's like Mm. he ends the Carmen Miranda performance by lifting up his dress and showing off his boxer shorts. And then that pose of like the raised dress and boxer shorts stays in place while... Puccini's head pops out from the various sides as he sings the part of the song that's uh, calling for Figaro. Figaro! Uh, he he, he kind of whistles like, Figaro! That's yeah. funny, too. And then, finally, one of the rabbits comes and pushes the whole dress blockage aside. And uh, Puccini's back in his tuxedo on the other side. It's hard to explain that gag, but it's really good. Hmm. So now, Angry Balcony Man's next tactic is to pull out a fountain pen and squirt ink on uh, Puccini. And we know what happens in 1952 cartoons when a character gets black on their face. Although, Mm. although, I should note, this gag is not as racist as it looks. Because it's specific. It is specific. There's a specific Mm. musical act called The Ink Spots. Uh, some people might know them for their song. I don't want to set the world on fire, which is in the beginning of every fallout game. Um, their deal is they, um, they, there was four members, but their main singer was, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, I've, I've got it here. Uh, da, 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 Bill Kenny. Um, so he's has kind of a high voice and he would sing most of the song. And then there was another guy named Orville Jones, who had a much lower voice, a bass voice. And then he would kind of repeat what was sung in a more talking fashion. Hmm. And that's what happens here, where he's 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 sprayed with this blackface and he starts singing this kind of higher soul song. And then the balcony man throws an anvil on him and squishes him down and then he goes into the bass voice talking version that Orville Jones does. Right. So this isn't... I mean, it's its still racist. because oh, it still gets blackface. cut out from TV. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it is not parodying black people in general. It's parodying a specific musical act. And except for the blackface, it's actually kind of a... I don't know about if any parody could be respectful, but like it's... It's not making fun too much, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a, a
1: parody. It's like a legitimate parody. Also, weird that there's a deuter antagonist in that balcony guy.
0: Yeah, well, you need somebody to, I don't know. Anyway, flesh out, yeah. Yeah. One of the rabbits comes in with a fire hat and fire hoses off the ink, and the other rabbit uses Puccini's arm to jack him back up to normal size as the aria continues. But then he's turned into a Polynesian dancer singing gibberish accompanied by the rabbits <laughs> who both yeah. punch him in the gut. This is, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it's a weird thing. What? When you gave me this, said um, uh, Magical Maestro. Yeah. I, I said I had a vague idea of what it was. Was it this? Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, that thing? No. No. Um, okay. I think I was actually conflating it with one of the Gene Deitch uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. I don't remember the name of it. Something about Carmen. Right. This one, when I actually did the search and saw the thumbnail for it, I actually gasped because I had watched this part of it. This this little clip had shown up on my YouTube algorithms within like the last couple of weeks. Oh, so I saw that the thumbnail of this and I was like, it's this. (laughs) Yeah, so that's wild. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he's singing this, and it yeah. comes to this climax of, and then both rabbits punch him in the gut.
1: <laughs> right. And his, his lay becomes
0: like a, a wipe that goes yeah. back to his tuxedo, yes. drops off his shoulders. Yeah. Yep. And he goes back and he sings his high note and Misto is trying to conduct him in the high note, but it tilts his head back enough that the wig falls off and Puccini sees that it's Misto now, and he knows what's up. He's still singing, he storms over, and he snatches the wig and the wand. And Misto runs down the aisle, but Puccini uses the wand to freeze him and bring him back and put him on the stage, and he puts him through some of the tortures he inflicted, culminating in that same Polynesian dance, although instead of the punch to the gut, it ends with a curtain that says, The End, slamming down on his head.
1: Yeah.
0: Whew. So one of the things that's happened to me as I've been as we've been doing this show is that I've started to recognize the distinct styles of the different directors that I wouldn't have noticed when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Tex Avery is a madman.
1: Yes, I, I especially like his wild takes and his just
0: expressions of people are funny. The stuff that he does. I loved this cartoon. Like, I remembered seeing it as a kid, but as an adult, I have a whole new appreciation for it. This is, I mean, you know, there's some uncomfortable moments moments in it, definitely, but it's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. This might end up on my top five list next year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it's, it's a question of which parts are offensive Mm. and what you can have a laugh over because it is ridiculous, right? And you just kind of have that problem where you can't laugh over some cultural things because of, uh, because of sensitivity, right? Yeah. I'm I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but things are funny, you know? Yeah. To me, nothing is really that sacrosanct about culture, you know. uh, uh,
0: Like when he turns into the Indian, he's just singing the song. He doesn't sing like an Indian song or even act like an Indian. He's just kind of wearing a headdress and a loincloth. That's, that could be a lot worse and has been a lot worse in other (laughs) cartoons. Um, The, I think the worst, you know, like I said, the, the blackface, except for the blackface part, it can actually be explained away. Um, Right. But I mean, the Chinese one is the worst. There's no excuse for that one. There's no excuse for that Chinaman. And I say the word Chinaman just to hammer home the racist intent in it. Right. But there's so many good gags in this oh my gosh yes. yep. it's so that, funny mm-hmm. it's tremendous tex avery man he's a genius do you know he only had one working eye i didn't yeah so hmm. apparently in the um in the animated animation studio guys would you know they'd horse play around they would like get like rubber bands and like flick stuff at people and stuff Mm -hmm. And so apparently somebody had a rubber band with a paper clip that they had loaded up to shoot at Tex. Uh, And somebody said, oh, Tex, look out. And Tex turned around, went, huh? And the paper clip got him in the eye and he lost (laughs) the use of that eye. Huh. So, yeah. Cautionary tale. (laughs) Although there are some who think that maybe because he had no depth perception, his like it affected his comedic writing in some way. I don't (laughs) know. I don't know how that makes sense, but I have both working eyes. So what do I know? Right. Poke one of them out. Yeah. OK, let me hang on. I got some scissors here. No, no, no. Um, Tex Avery is pretty good. Um, Do you want to talk at all about Tex Avery? Sure, I do.
1: And I'm going to. Uh, oh, my God. OK, so hmm. uh, <laughs> in typical Micah fashion, I actually watched the wrong one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was re-
1: I was ready to let you go with it. Yeah, but I I did take a quick look. I I watched the TV of Tomorrow, but in fact, what I should have watched was uh, the House of Tomorrow. They're actually pretty similar. Yeah, Um, I think there's a third one. I think there's like the car of Tomorrow as well. Yes, yes. So I'm throwing out my notes and we're doing this uh, Wikipedia style. Okay. Okay, so there's a narrator for this cartoon and he presents the House of Tomorrow, which is like, one little wrapped up gift that springs out into the uh at the time ultra modern house <laughs> it has doors for every member of the family, so it's got like one for the dog and uh one for uh one for junior, which is all muddy, and then uh, one for mother, which has got a real it's got like a swelled Uh, a swell to its width for her hips because she just loves sweets. Oh, boy. Yep. And then one for the father, which is like uh, Wild West saloon doors (laughs) because he's a drunkard. Right. And then one for the mother-in-law, which is all boarded up and chained because we don't like the mother-in-law. Get used to these stereotypes. This one especially, yeah. So we get a tour inside with its thick shag carpeting which makes the butler sink down to his uh, neck. And you talk about Tex Avery, that sound effect, that sound effect yeah, is got to yeah. <laughs> be pretty familiar. Let's see. You, you can control the climate of the room. At the press of a button, a uh, rain cloud passes through it. Hmm. Um, there's a trophy room, which has a moose mounted on the wall. And a ram. These have dates on them, you know, like 1925 or whatever. Yeah. Um, Then there's a tiger. And then there's a champagne bottle that was killed on New Year's Eve. Because, you know. (laughs) I think it's a Johnny Walker bottle. You're right. You're right. right. Whiskey. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, dad's a drunk. Yep. See, next we get. Now, these cartoons are really similar. I think this is better than the TV one. Okay. Because yet more breadth of jokes. But there's some similar ones. Anyway, this, this we get to the uh, uh, a house that while you're living the high life and everything looks rich, at the uh, mere press of a button you can instantly uh, ghetto your house and turn it into ramshackle, and even the even the people living there go down and come back
0: up in shabby clothing. Man, if Cyril Sneer had this house, that whole episode would have gone differently.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is this is straight. Okay, so the to answer junior's tough questions or as many questions uh there's a machine that yells back at him ah shut up and shoots a plunger in his face <laughs> <laughs> and the tv one there's a tv for the guests that adjusts your dials which has a revolver come out and shoot him in the face so kind of <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um, Okay, so there's an automatic sandwich maker, this this uh, robot with, you know, long, bendy robot arms at the table. And like a poker dealer, he takes the bread and he takes some cold cuts and he riffle shuffles them together and then passes them out as sandwiches like a dealer. Right. Hmm. I'm certain that once I did try to do this as a kid (laughs) because this happened in Scooby Doo as well. The, the shuffling the sandwich ingredients together i think that happened in the opening credits of scooby-doo well, i know shaggy does it yeah yeah anyway yeah i've tried the thing it. is I,
0: the thing is you'd need to you'd need like two pieces of bread per one slice of meat right unless you were just building
1: one a zero sandwich. sandwich yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i'm pretty sure my efforts were in vain um
0: <laughs> you think Yeah, probably.
1: I don't remember that well. But I do remember, like, I do remember it being a goal of my seven-year-old self, right? I must. (laughs) Um, You could probably barely shuffle cards at that age. Probably. So let's see. There's a uh, tanning bed with a spatula that flips the guy. Um, This is, these cartoons are all just a series of gags, usually with, like, a commentary or, like, uh, off-the-wall gadgets. Um, Right. Oh, there are guest chairs, depending on your guest. And so it's like, it's a chair that transforms. Parts of it flip and change dimensions. Yeah. So that it it gets a really tall back for tall people. And then it becomes this really short love seat for short people. And then for the mother in law, it turns into an electric chair. (laughs) Because we hate her that much. Yeah, we do. There is a. uh, multi-screen television set so that everyone in the family can watch what they want and for the housewife that's a cooking show <laughs> for the kids it's a western mm. and for the tired businessman we get a bathing beauty these are uh, live action by the way yeah i think that's a text Avery thing where tv screens have live action on them anyway
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah. it certainly isn't the one i watched by mistake uh <laughs> Uh, there's, we look at the medicine cabinets, which again, personalized for each person. So the father, he's got all the standard stuff. He's got like razors and, and toothpaste and stuff. Unnecessary razors. We will find out. Great. The mother has lots of cosmetics, like probably about 10 lipsticks in there. Yeah. No kidding. And, uh, the kid has just a bottle of castor oil. And the mother-in-law is stocked full of poison. Just vials of uh, skulls and crossbones. All right. So as was getting to, there's an auto shaver that uh, operates super fast. And the guy with the shaving cream on his face has all of his features except his eyes uh, cut off. Now, I remember you talked about the car of tomorrow. Yeah. There was a gag in that, I believe, where there was an automatic shaver in the car. And so it's like, it's, it's, you know, carving away the, uh, the stubble and the, and the shaving foam. And then the car goes over a bumpy ride. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing. I think he's got no face. Oh, man. There's even, well, there's like a history of these gags. I was thinking, as I told you about it, I remember that I think it just carves off his face. But there's an even better gag from an automatic shaver where it lops off the guy's head. Like he goes through the whole, the whole ritual of lathering up and then it just goes and knocks off his head. That is,
0: that's a Monty Python animation. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, Monty Python for the win. Yeah, that's way better. I mean, it would have been like 20 years after these cartoons, but still. Right. It stood on the shoulders of giants, I guess. Yes, exactly. Terry Gilliam knows what he's doing.
1: All right. So there's a toaster, which uh, when it goes off, the people sitting down at the table flip up. For no reason. What is the point? That's the most, you know, I don't get <laughs> that gag. You know, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something adorable. Yeah. Uh, my cat is fascinated by the toaster. <laughs> so, like, the, the toaster, when it goes off, makes a beep warning. And then she'll come out and meow, right? <laughs> like, oh, that's that noise. <laughs> and we'd cleared off enough space where she could get up, not on purpose, but where, where she could get up there. Yeah. And recently she was looking at the toaster the whole time. And when the toast came up, she was all purrs for like a minute. Wow. (laughs) The mystery has been solved. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, All right. There was a cartoon. Um, So there's an orange juicer that spits out the seeds in a comical fashion. Like (laughs) the little arm goes. (laughs) Oh, we're going like all kitchen appliances. There's there's a, a frying pan with a little hammer that knocks bacon flat when it curls up. For
0: some reason, that's the gag that I remember the most from this cartoon. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I eat bacon frequently. And I often think like, is this a problem that it's kind of (laughs) curly? One, there's a device
1: that removes the burps from radishes. (laughs) So like pulls the radishes in. And then there's a hand over top of a mouth, I guess, that lets go. So it can go burp, 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 burp. (laughs) That's (laughs) it. Expels (laughs) radishes. Do radishes make you gassy? I don't know. I don't remember ever having this issue with radishes. I don't know that I eat a lot of radishes. Hmm. Let's see. There's a pressure cooker from the year 2050, if I remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, The woman puts every ingredient in there and then just waits. And the pressure cooker, in fact, just blows up, blows the roof off the house. (laughs) And then the narrator... Mentions every cooked ingredient as it flies through the sky. You know, yeah. the steak, the uh, vegetables, and the housewife. And she's like flying up with soot all over. Yeah. Oh, this is the part that I think most people remember from this. Is the screen that lets you see what's going on inside your refrigerator when you close <laughs> it. When the, light, when the light goes off. There's, <laughs> according to this little screen, there's a gnome that comes out of a little door. And waddles out and turns the light off when you close the door. <laughs> Anyway, so that's kind of the end of the, the thing, except that uh, by request of the uh, tired businessmen in the audience, we get to see the bathing beauty again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's a Tex Avery hallmark right there. Yep.
0: Sexy ladies, real or drawn? Yeah. The number of animals that strip in Tex Avery cartoons, man. <laughs> I can think of two. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well let's see, there's a lizard. There's a pretty sure there's a sheep of some kind. Those are the two I can think of, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a whole YouTube video of like Tex Avery stripper gags.
1: Right. And cowboys. Yeah. True to his branding. He has a lot of cowboys in his stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a French cartoon called the I think it's called The Wacky World of Tex Avery. Yep. Uh, came out in ninety seven, I think, which would have been seventeen years after Tex Avery died. Uh mm-hmm. and it's which I didn't know at the time. But it has this little cowboy character named Tex Avery, and I think the idea was that it was trying to emulate the style of Tex Avery as like an homage to him.
1: Right. It's not really great to look at though.
0: Nah, no No. Hmm. You need you need the charm of this era of animation for this kind of thing to work. Like you know, he's got some like signatures, mm-hmm. like
1: people that grin really like to an extreme curve up the side of their face. Yeah. Um, and the thing I think I like best is when somebody panics and they have like noodly fingers up in the air, waving about, like, <laughs> I
0: sure. I think it happens in this, but I, I like it quite a bit for Tex Avery. Watching these cartoons has given me mm-hmm. such an appreciation for Tex Avery. I want to watch more of his stuff. I just want to go on a binge. Like, I think this is the first time we've looked at anything, Tex
1: Avery. I here, think though. it is, too. Whereas we've had an incredible glut of Chuck
0: Jones. Yeah, um, several. How about several more? OK, yeah. so following in the footsteps of those two uh, Pussyfoot and uh, uh, Mark Antony things. Now here's uh, Nightmare Hair from 1955, directed by Chuck Jones. Um, this is another one that I said I thought I remembered and it turns out I was conflating with another cartoon. I'll get to that uh. later. But I did remember this one. It's just not the one I thought it was. So it's a Bugs Bunny cartoon, as you can tell from the hair in the title. Hmm. And it starts with Bugs outside with his ears in a big dryer. And he's reading a big book called Tales of Knighthood and Gallantry. Um, So an apple falls from the tree above And it smashes Bugs on the metal dome, which causes him to dream, question mark, that he's in a different time and place with the barn in the background turning into a castle. With the dryer still on his head, Bugs wanders blindly until he discovers the point of a lance. He finally lifts his makeshift helm and finds that he's encountered an imposing knight on horseback. The knight introduces himself with a series of, fun, of funny titles like uh, Sir O of K, Sir Osis of the Liver, that kind of thing. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he claims Bugs as a prisoner. Bugs counters by listing off a series of jazz singers with regal sounding names, hmm. who the knight insults. Bugs okay. issues a challenge, and the knight lends him a giant sword, which is way too heavy for Bugs to lift. You know, a real life arming sword is only about three
1: pounds at the most. <laughs> I well, grant you a real world rabbit would have trouble lifting it. I was
0: gonna say, yeah. Yeah. So the knight charges as Bugs attempts to lift the sword. I I very much remember this. Like I was just waiting yeah. for him to kick the thing with his toe and break it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Bugs can't lift the sword. He's finally resigned to his fate. He does the thing where he puts on a blindfold and smokes a cigarette like he's about to be executed by firing squad. But at the last minute, he moves aside and trips the horse, which sends the knight flying into the tower of a nearby castle. And the sound effects as he falls down are like some of those burned into my brain cartoon memories. The little. (laughs) Also, the pose. Yeah, there's
1: another cartoon where the same thing happens to uh, uh, Yosemite Sam as a Black (laughs) Knight, where his his Lance pole vaults him. And he's got that same from behind pose where his arms and legs are out and he's going in a big arc like into
0: a castle. Yeah, um, I'll get to that. Yeah. So now that the knight is gone, Bugs is pondering his situation until he is distracted and advanced upon by a fire breathing dragon. Bugs scurries into his hole and comes out with a seltzer spritzer, which he uses to put out the dragon's fire and send it packing. Hmm. So next, Bugs wanders to an imposing tower, which the mailbox says is home to Merlin of Monroe, which is pretty cute. Hmm. The weird old man inside in Hmm. in red tights, a purple cloak and a beanie with a propeller, introduces himself as Merlin, a sorcerer, and Bugs begs to see him sorcerer. Merlin uses a pinch of his magic powder to turn Bugs into a pig and is shocked when Bugs simply unzips and discards the pig costume. Pig watch, Micah! Oh, is it hot?
1: <laughs>
0: it's okay. Yeah, all right. It's acceptable. Yeah. It's appropriately fat. Okay. Uh, Bugs counters this by flicking his thumb like a cigarette lighter and setting it on fire. And Merlin attempts to do this too, but he fails. And while he tries and tries, and this is another one that I remember him like (laughs) hiding what he's doing from Bugs and you just see the thumb flick out. That's great. So while he's trying this, Bugs gets a pinch of magic powder and turns Merlin into a horse. Merlin does what Bugs does and unzips the costume, but uh, he's still a horse underneath. And so he just begins discarding costume after costume while Bugs walks away.
1: You know, what impressed me, even as a kid, there is some cycling for him unzipping. Yes. But I was impressed that the pile of horse costumes keeps on accruing and
0: becoming taller and taller. Yes. In a lesser cartoon or in something like a Rocky and Bullwinkle, it would have just fallen down and just melded into the pile. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, I noticed that too. Mm. So now Bugs is walking through this tower, still considering how he's supposed to get home or whatever. And he spots a bowl of fruit and particularly an apple. Now, he didn't actually see the apple hit him, but okay. He figures Mm. it can't hurt to try. So he tosses the apple up in the air to bean himself on the head again. And that does the trick. And he wakes up back in the modern day, 1955, at his hairdryer. As he walks away, astounded at the bizarre dream he just had, he's unsettled to see a farmer hitching a horse that has Merlin's propeller beanie on it. He dismisses it, but then is alarmed when the farmer calls the horse Merlin. And that's the end.
1: I understand that's kind of a thing in this era, where the the Warner Brothers cartoons end with a character twinging or (laughs) shrugging to the camera, you know? Yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah. So this cartoon, when you mentioned it, I thought that this had the knighting scene in it. And when it didn't, I went on a quest to find it. I went to a cartoon by Fritz Freeling called Nighty Night Bugs, which is the one you were talking about with uh, 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 Yosemite Sam as the Black Knight who has stolen the singing sword from Arthur's Court.
1: Also pretty cool. And a much, much heavier sword for sure.
0: Which he lifts. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a magic sword. Okay. That cartoon is okay. Yeah. But it's also noticeable for being, I think, the only Bugs Bunny cartoon that won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short. Oh, right, right. And that didn't have the nighting scene in it. So then I went, well, what does have the nighting scene in it? And it was a cartoon called Rabbit Hood. Right. Arise, sir, loin of beef. Exactly, that's the one. Um, With the Sheriff of Nottingham. And it has a recurring gag of a stupid little John showing up. Right. Don't don't you worry, never fear. Robin Hood will soon be here.
1: Kind of making me want to watch that one. Go ahead, I did. You trying to say that this land over here is better than that land? Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, it's great. And he, and he he gets halfway through building a house on that land <laughs> yeah. before he figures out the ruse. uh yeah, you should watch yeah. that cartoon. It's good. It's I think, mm, I think that one might be the best of the three, and yeah. the one that won the Oscar might be the. I mean, it's still good, but it's the worst. It had that one. 99 bugs. You mentioned the. Um, Uh, uh, Yosemite Sam, like, flying pole vaulting. Yes. It had this... (laughs) A tremendous gag where he's flying at the castle wall, and then it just goes to inside with bugs looking out the window. And then next to him, like, the the (laughs) stone block just pops out of the wall (laughs) inward. Yeah. You never see Yosemite's impact. And also, it's not like cartoons where you can tell that the stone is going to move before it does. It just totally looks like background and then pop. <laughs> you know
1: what kind of what impresses me? This is a very like, technical nitty gritty thing for a bit. But so when, when you're laying multiple cells down, yeah, they have a darkening effect, yeah. right? Because it's, it's a little, just a little thin bit of acetate. So it makes things look darker underneath. Mm-hmm. And you see in a lot of cartoons that they will change the number of cells. So things will get darker and brighter. Mm. It surprises me in these cartoons. They don't suffer from that. Yeah. Interesting. Like we're, like I was saying that the the horse unzips and unzips and that's cycled, but then the part on top isn't cycled. So I imagine that some of those cases, what they've done is they've just put a blank cell in order to maintain the uh, brightness. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Whereas other other cartoons would just get rid of the cell and all of a sudden the cartoon, the character would be much brighter. Huh. Anyway.
0: Yeah, hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. Hmm. Anyway, this is a classic. Like I said, like there's, you know, that uh, that rabbit hood one might be better, but that doesn't take away from this one. I love Merlin. Is this is this a wizard before the Lord of the Rings caught on? Because it's kind of weird to see a wizard who doesn't have like a pointy hat and a big, long beard, you know? Right. Well, Lord of the Rings is like from the, from what, 1910 or something ridiculous? Uh, the right? Hobbit is, or 30s? the yeah. Hobbit is, and I think the the Lord of the Rings uh, came much later. But yeah. I don't know, like I looked it up, I saw a wood cutting or, or some kind of picture from something like 1906 with Merlin with a big long white beard. So right. maybe this is just a unique or easy to draw or funny depiction funny. of Merlin. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, he's got no teeth, funny. just this weird like shaky jaw. He's like yeah, the male version of wrinkly. a witch. That's what it is. Yeah. He's the male version of a witch. Of Witch Hazel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, no, this is a classic cartoon and I'm glad that I watched it and I'm glad that it led me to watch those other two. Uh,
1: well, probably before I get to watching uh, Nighty Night Bugs, there's another Chuck Jones cartoon that I ought to fill people in on first. Yeah. So you gave me Martian Through Georgia which was directed 1962, just like the one, uh, the cartoon I had prior, this has a narrator. Hmm. In a conversation we had during the week, you said that your cartoons weren't linked, but they sort of dovetail into one another. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait. This is my speech from when I thought it was TV of tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that ends with a message from Mars. Oh, that's right. And TV white. antennas were, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Screw that. Nix that. i wait for edit and go okay so uh the narrator informs us among that among a generally very very happy martian population there's one citizen who is plain fed up the martians are small and green and have caps with antennae on the tops of their heads like tinky winky from the teletubbies (laughs) the female martians wear slinky purple bodysuits which means, I guess, that the males are basically naked. <laughs> anyway, the unhappy Martian in question is blasé about his superpowers of levitation, phasing, and thought projection. Further, he is thoroughly uninterested in a Martian seductress, and he rebuffs her, which makes her deflate into a wrinkled pile. It occurs to me that this Martian's power set is very similar to Martian Manhunters from DC Comics. <laughs> Anyway, a psychoanalyst, a Martian one, that is, connects antennae like the Navi from the Avatar movie, and he advises that our sad fella go traveling. He boards his flying saucer and travels to a young, slightly mildewed, and quite smoggy planet. It's Earth. When he spies on the rituals of 1960s America, he decides to go down and interact to benefit them with his superior culture. By the way, on his journey, he punctures the Big Dipper and makes it leak. Yep. Which makes at least the second time we've seen it on Animation Celery. Yeah, true, true. The humans take him for a monster, and the Martian is studied and imprisoned. It's no big deal for him to phase through the walls and fly away, though. Yeah, he doesn't even realize that he's imprisoned. He just thinks he's found living quarters. Right, that he's been given a... uh Like a hero's welcome.
0: Yeah, and and that's important. He doesn't realize that he's considered a monster. Hmm. So he approaches a man on the street, and the
1: man correctly assigns him to be the monster that he's read about in the newspaper. But our clueless little guy still doesn't realize that the monster is supposed to be him, and he quests to eliminate the monster. While passing a construction site, He takes the steam shovel that's working there to be the monster. And ironically, his gun turns it into a dragon sort of thing that walks away with his driver. And funny coincidences uh, coincidences abound. Hmm. Because both Chuck Jones cartoons have a dragon thing. Yep. Uh, The Martian doesn't get to feel accomplished for very long because a little boy greets him. Hello, monster. He shows him, in fact, a picture of of a Martian in his comic book, identified as a monster. The extraterrestrial tries unscrewing his antennae and putting it onto his face to give himself a nose, but that's not enough to convince the child. Haunted by his hated status, the Martian considers suicide by his own gun. But then he's warmed by the thought that somewhere out there is someone who really cares for him. Remember that slinky Martian lady who wanted to jump his bones? (laughs) Yeah. He takes off to the cosmos again to return to her. Let's hope she's still interested, though. Yeah. As usual, we get great characterization, great faces um, from Chuck Jones and Maurice Noble. Mm-hmm. There's also another director on this, uh, Abe Levitao. Yeah. H- who would later direct Gay Paris.
0: Oh. You seen that? Um, I mean, the, uh, the Pepe Le Pews all kind of blend together.
1: Well, they're cats in Capri, but yeah, yeah. So one of the things i learned that um, animators had a weird transition to TV. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of them got really cheap, but luckily there's like kind of a stylish cheapness to Chuck Jones that transitioned very well to this era. Yeah. And, And Maurice Noble. Maurice Noble, it should be said, for these crazy backgrounds where... Uh, Both this and and Nightmare uh, hair, they're not that interested in perspective. The colors are a little crazy and spare, and yet it all kind of works out stylishly. It's like a really thin line between looking cheap like Pink Panther and looking
0: (laughs) great like Chuck Jones. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. One of the things that I came to appreciate, I was thinking about um, the great piggy bank robbery. Right now, did he direct that? I don't remember. No, that was Bob Clampett. Oh, okay, yeah. But Nightmare Hair, story-wise, is pretty similar. Yeah, true. Um, But I was just thinking about how well Nightmare Hair actually has a good example of it. I'll say that it's where uh, uh, an animation will happen, like someone will do something, but the animation doesn't necessarily stop. Like example in the piggy bank robbery, there's that scene where. all of the villains are smashing into the door and okay. they don't all just smash and stop. Each little puddled body continues to expand in more of a puddle as more villains pile on. I got gotcha. you. And the same way in uh, Nightmare Hare, when Bugs moves to trip the horse, like he instantly assumes the tripping pose, but there's a few seconds or a second or so of him continuing to lean back a little bit after he struck the pose. So, right, I you. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not like it's a snap to one new position, which is what Tex Avery does. Oh, yeah. And that's good, yeah. but that's great for comedic timing. So right. it could go either way. It's like you have this great animation or you can have this, you know, a little lesser animation, but the comedy beats hit so hard because of it. Right. And they're both really valid and both, you know, symbols of different directors doing their jobs really well. Yep, I agree. Cool. Uh, for
1: <laughs> one of the weird occasional hallmarks for Chuck Jones I like, the uh, Flying Saucers landing struts are <laughs> two goofy looking tennis shoes. Yeah. That's like a Chuck Jones thing, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, I'd have to watch more Marvin. Right, right. Or... um Finster, the monster, or uh, what was it, Gossamer? Goss, the differently yeah. named hair monster?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Rudolph, um, Rudolph. F- yeah, Finster yeah. is the little, um, is the baby-faced gangster. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So th- this is
1: likable in the same way that all Chuck Jonesy things are. Mm-hmm. But I'll say that although it deals with like the human condition, hmm. that uh, this guy's problems run way deeper. Than a sexy lady yeah. can fix. Yeah. I It kind of just gets wrapped up at the end. And I think that he, to be honest, even though things didn't work out well for him, that he just needs to keep exploring and finding new challenges since those seem to be the stuff that uh,
0: really energize him. Well, we also need new challenges. Yeah, we do. And what's more challenging than forgetting things? <laughs> There's things I wish I could forget. I'm a master. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at my suggestion, because I wanted to find some theme that would fit the thing I wanted to give you hey. next week, if we remember to do it, we're going to look at cartoons, episodes of cartoons that, uh, focus on the phenomenon of amnesia. Mm. Now, hopefully you won't forget and watch the wrong episode here. No promises. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to watch an uh. A piece of anime the first episode of an anime that i quite like and i've mentioned it to you before so you might remember me talking about it okay it's called kaiba 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 Mm. uh it's a 12 episode series i just want you to watch the first one although maybe it will spur you to watch more uh the first Mm. episode is called the name is warp okay huh I had my betting money
1: on Bob's Burgers. Okay. Hmm. I think there's an amnesia episode of that. I'm not sure I remember one. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I got I got one for you. It is an oft-mentioned He-Man and the Masters of the Universe episode. Oh. Entitled Quest for He-Man.
0: <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, it's weird that that's a really nondescript title, but at the same time, it gives me an idea of what it's going to be. Yeah, you know what? I was looking up, and uh, maybe this would be for next week.
1: The, the These amnesia episodes, most of them are plays on whatever happened to blank. Hmm. Almost all the titles. Anyway, good on us for
0: finding two that didn't do that. Cool. Okay, well, don't forget that next week we're going to be doing cartoons about amnesia, Kaiba and He-Man. Also don't forget to participate with us in social media, share with your friends on whatever. Do people still use Facebook? If they do share us on that, talk to us on Twitter. I'm at AC Matzy. And I'm at drabswatch on Twitter. Now I know life is tough. So
1: here's a literal life hack to turn on God mode. Go to your microwave oven and punch in the celery stalker's slogan. I, knave, am Sir O of K, Earl of Watercress, Sir Osus of the Liver, Knight
0: of the Garter, and Baron of Worcestershire's sister 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 sister. Sure.